You are listening to a message brought to you by Christian Life Church Lempster. To find out more about us, go to www.clch.cc. This is 13 to 16. So 1 Peter, or 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. Just as you're opening up at that point, I um, just want to say where we're going to be going over the next season. I've got no idea how long the season's going to be. Um, I don't write it. <laughs> I don't make it up. Um, we just kind of, we believe in being obedient to what God tells us to do. And last week, for those of us that were here, um, it was a powerful time. It was a powerful time. We looked at just the holiness of God and the whole message being around to take off your shoes, to remind yourself that you are walking into a holy space, holy ground, where God's presence is paramount and powerful. And um, had a number of you kind of respond during the week and just say it was just great to have the time and the space given over to that, um, which was really um, nice to hear that, but also really good that just the Spirit spoke to you in that. Um, to be honest, last week wasn't planned. It wasn't written down. It wasn't scripted. It was literally just out of a time of prayer and just kneeling in front of God and just saying, God, where do you want to take us this year? Where do you want to take CLC Lempster? What, what's the journey going to be like for us as a church this year? And I really hope that God continues to use the word last week just in your hearts, in your lives, as you go throughout your week. And kind of on the back of that, just this word of, just this word of holiness has just been so key um, in terms of, we, we know that God is holy, we know that holiness is a, is a big word, but just what does that mean for us? What does that mean as a church to be holy? What does it mean to pursue holiness? And um, yeah, today we're going to kind of, my aim today is that we have a better understanding of holiness from God's perspective, from the biblical perspective, and then kind of in the following weeks, we look at what that then means for us. How do we respond to this? So um, 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16 is going to be where we kind of come back to time and time again. Um, so yeah, let, let's read it. So therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So Holy Spirit, we just ask right now that these words that were written hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. God, we pray that these words that were not just made up on the spot, that were not just kind of crafted by, by a pen, but were inspired by your very being, God. We pray that these words hold true for us today. God, we pray that you transfer to us your truth through these words, through, this, um, through these meager words and this meek talk today, God. We pray that our hearts are changed and transformed, not by words, not by influence, not by ideas, not by thinking, but by your Holy Spirit, God, this morning. Let our hearts be touched by you. Let our ears and our eyes be opened to you today, God. Amen. 
So, first question. What makes you different? What makes you different? Is it your name? Your eyes? Is it the way you walk down the street? Is it the way you say certain words? Is it how you dress? Is it the funny birthmark that only your parents and your spouse know you have? Is it that your nose is as sticky outy as it is long? What is it that makes you recognizable? What makes you uniquely you? What is it about you that someone will say, that's Jenny? What is it when someone describes you, they would say, yeah, that's Mark, that's Paul, that's Freya? What are the things about you that make you distinctive? A fingerprint or an eye scan or like a, a voice memo might designate you as an individual, but that doesn't tell me about you. Fingerprints and eye scans, there they still tell me who you they tell me like your name, they might tell me your ID, but it doesn't tell me about your story. They're like hollow distinctions. They don't tell me anything about the person of Chris, the person of Mike. I'm sure you've all got fantastic qualities that make you unique. And it might have been that the first things that you thought of that make you unique are the things that you like showing off. The things that you like other people to know about you that make you unique. But I'm also sure on the other side of the coin that there are things about us that make us different and distinctive that maybe we don't want other people to know. Maybe there's parts of our story that if people were to hear them that would make it about us, we'd prefer that people didn't know they were about us. Maybe there's a past version of you that you're embarrassed about or ashamed about or feel guilty about that you wish people never found out about. What's interesting about differences is that there has to be enough similarity about your differences to make them different. So we're different, yeah, <laughs> okay, let's, let's think about that one. So the thing about differences <laughs> is that there has to be enough of a similarity to make them different. Let's go back to your nose. I was gonna say let's pick on your nose, but that would be, don't do that. Oh, the other day, Camilla, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, Camilla had a, a runny nose. And she was licking her mouth, because it still had food on it, and then licked her nose at the same time. And she goes, hmm, that's tasty. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to convince her to not lick the bogeys falling from her anyway. So your nose. Um, noses are funny, because um, they're actually one of the most common um, object of plastic surgery focuses. Um, a lot of people get their noses done, get a nose job, get it all changed up um, because they think their nose looks weird. But here's the interesting thing. All noses look like noses. Yeah, that's what a nose is. It's got nostrils, two of them. Comes out between your eyes and your mouth. That's what makes a nose. Now, you know what a nose looks like, right? Yeah, yeah. So you can tell something that isn't a nose. Yeah, so when I say there has to be enough of a similarity to make things different, 
No one was looking at your face thinking, you have a cucumber sticking out of your nose. No one's looking at your nose thinking that you've got some kind of, I don't know, beak sticking out, you know, in the middle of your face. It's still a nose, right? Yeah. Um, so difference only exists because of what's the same. Okay? Difference only exists because of what's the same. So do you want to put up that picture? <laughs> so Ruben's been trying to work out why on earth I had this picture um, set up. So, no, it's not Mark. Um, <laughs> so, what's this? It's a painting of a man made out of vegetables. Now, when you looked at your nose, you know what a nose looks like, right? So, how would you describe his nose? Bulbous. Like a pear? Well, for those of you that said like a pear, that's good. It's not a nose, it's a pear, guys. What are you doing? It is a pear. That is not a nose. You guys are crazy. I mean, you know Christians are normally quite gullible, but this is, this is ridiculous. But um, that's not a nose, is it? Is it? No, it's not. So you're looking at that thinking, oh, what's the right answer? Oh, yeah, I should jump on my hand up and keep it there. Um, that is a pear. Um, I can guarantee you that is a pear. It's edible. Um, if you try to eat your nose, it wouldn't taste very nice, unless you're Camilla. Um, but that is a pear. Okay? Now, the reason why you think it might be a nose is because it fits in with the form of a person. Yeah? It has the appearance of human likeness. But is it? No, no the answer is no, guys. <laughs> it's, it, it is vegetables. It is not a person. Um, it is lots of things that are not a person that are made to look like a person. But it is not a person. It is entirely different. Yeah? Is there any single part of that that is human? No. no. Looks like it. I mean, I'd be freaked out if it started moving. But that is not human. So um, this is called, um, I think it's called the Vertumnal Man. And it was um, painted in the 16th century. Um, of course, there's a whole load of like, political and religious meaning behind it, which is way above my head. Um, other people much cleverer than me would be able to explain that picture in a bit more detail. But all I know is, it's vegetables made to look like a man. Now, God. God in the Bible is described as holy. The verse that we just looked at, it says, be holy because I am holy. So God's telling his people, be holy just as I am holy. Now, in very short, another way to see the word holy is different. I'm going to go through a few different ways of seeing the word holy, but the first thing that we're going to look at is holy means different. The word sacred basically just means set apart, put aside for a different purpose. It is other. Now, God starts off holy. Now in the Bible there are twice, twice times, where it says that God is holy, holy, holy. Yeah? We sing about it, we read about it, we have a God who is holy. But not just holy, he is holy, holy, 
holy. Now, the first time you see a word, it's kind of important. When you then see the word holy, holy, it kind of gets your attention. It's kind of, okay, this is a bit more holy. But then when the writers of the Bible use the term holy, 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 they're really trying to basically underline it, put it on a highlighter, put it on a big flashing neon sign that God is holy. So if we just change that word holy with different, God isn't just different. He is different, different. God is different, different, different. Now, why is that important? Because you look at your nose and someone else's nose and you see they're different. But there's enough of a similarity there to know that they're different. That ain't a nose. But we all thought it was. Yeah? That's a pair. That's not a nose. It's different, different. Yeah? That is not even a person. That is different, different. Now, God is different, different, different. So what does that mean? It means that God is on a completely different level of understanding to anything that we can compare him to. You can compare your nose to someone else's because it looks the same, has the same idea. You can compare that to another nose because it, it looks the same, has the same idea, same function, same format. However, God is completely different, so much so that there is nothing that you can compare him to. He is incomparable. He is different, different, different. He is on a completely different plane of existence. So the Bible actually picks up on this. There's two verses in the New Testament that says, no one has ever seen God. And that makes sense, right? If God's different, like different, 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 then how do we experience that? How do we experience a God that is so different that we have no categories to explain and talk about him? Now, to put this in a different perspective, um, you've heard the phrase kind of, um, you know, um, spend a walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Yeah, the intention being that you can kind of experience their life by spending some time in their life. Um, that's fine. Okay, that's, again, that's different. But can you imagine if you're able to experience your life, go with me on this one, experience your life as a bat. Yeah, okay, a few, few blinking eyes. Now, how do bats see? How do bats experience their surroundings? Through sound, yeah? So, not with your eyes, yeah? Their whole experience of what they see and perceive isn't through visual aids, it's through sound. Now, we cannot begin to perceive the life through the lens of a bat. It's, it's not possible, yeah? Now, in that same way, we cannot begin to perceive God because he is completely outside of our realm of existence. He is completely out of our qualities of what makes us human. God's not just like a better human up in heaven. God is completely different. 
So this is where, after talking about bats and vegetables, that you're thinking, okay, Jason, not only have you lost your mind, but wait a minute, we are in, <laughs> we are in a church. Jason, what on earth are you going on about? Clearly, clearly we get to see God. I mean, th this building would not be here if we could not see God, right? We would not have a church if we could not see God. We'd be living our merry lives as if nothing was different at all. And this is the beauty of the gospel. Because any, any glimpse that we have of God tells us one thing. That God goes out of his way to make himself experienceable. There must be a better word for that. That God goes out of his way to make himself seen by his creation. God makes himself visible. God makes himself approachable. God makes himself open to us seeing, hearing, experiencing him. Because we tried? No. Because he decides. It's kind of like a, the Bible uses the picture of a potter and clay. Um, again, I'm not an artist, but um, one of the aspects of what it gets at, and what it's often used for in terms of like, you know, coffee cup Christianity, um, is like kind of God crafts our life and it's really beautiful and really pretty and it's not quite a finished thing just yet. Which is absolutely fine and great and, you know, we're all up for that. But what I want to focus in on is the potter and the clay is the potter is alive, breathing, designing, Moving, changing, creating, dreaming, inspiring, aspiring. And the clay is doing what? It's just, it's just sitting there. Yeah? It's not as if the clay can wake up and go, Ha-ha! I see you, Potter. Not as in Harry Potter. I see you, Potter. <laughs> I'm not going to do a really bad impression. Don't do that, Jason. Um, the clay... Does, has, has no idea what's happening to it. The clay is completely passive. Not only is it passive, it doesn't even know what's going on. It is inanimate, yeah? Now, that same difference between the clay and the potter is the same difference between us and God, yeah? Although we are animate breathing and all that kind of stuff, God is a completely different category and plane to us. So here we are thinking that we're kind of, you know, going through life, choosing our life, doing, like, making our decisions and going about what's going on. And we have absolutely no idea what God is actually making and forming and creating in this world. We have no idea. We are as inanimate as the clay in comparison to God. We are his creation. We didn't create our souls. We don't tell God, ah, oh, you know, just pull out this little bit. I prefer the handle looking a bit more like this. A bit less of the love handles, please. That would be helpful. Um, but we so often forget that God is different. <laughs> that God is different, different, different. 
So when we do then see any aspect of him, it's because he has revealed himself to us. He has chosen to step into our lives. He has chosen to step into his creation. He has chosen to step into what he has made and make himself um, experience. There's a better word than that. Um, yeah. You, sorry? Tangible. That sounds good. Yeah. I'll go with that. Let's go with that. Um, so, yeah. God is different. Now, of course, the other side of the word holy is also the word perfect. Perfect. Now, not only is God different, but he is also perfect. Now, what does that mean? That per perfection by itself, he needs no one or no thing else to be satisfied or compared to. It means perfect because there's nothing bad or evil inside of him. Perfect as not only is there no bad or evil inside of him, but there's no possibility of a wrong choice or an error being made in judgment. Perfect in being known or unknown. Perfection means that God is at a level where there is no striving because there is nothing better than him. Nothing better than God. Perfection remains the same throughout. I think scientifically, perfection literally means stasis. And there's a song that we sang today, which is called Anastasis. There we go. There that stasis is this moment where it's perfectly balanced. Perfectly in place. He has no need of time to improve or get better. He will remain the same throughout time and eternity because he was, always was, and always will be the best possible version of himself in all possible places. He has nothing else to compare himself to in our or his plane of existence. He has never not existed and will never cease to exist. So now, back last week when we, when we see Moses walking into this holy space, God says, what? Moses says, who are you? And God says, I am who I am. And you first read that and you think, well, that's helpful, isn't it? That's really helpful. And then actually you think, when you, when you take a step back and think about who God is, well, how else does he describe himself? He has nothing else to describe himself to because he is so far removed from our experience. So, where does this leave us? This wholly different, perfect God did something really strange. He decided to demonstrate his holiness, his difference and his perfection, through his creation. We see God from the moment that he created the world, he starts applying who he is to his creation. He starts applying holiness to what he makes. And you're thinking, how, how does that work out? Well, if we think of, again, holiness being different, set apart, that when God built the Garden of Eden, there was a particular creation in there called humanity. And God set apart humanity to be the special part of creation that he communes with. Out of creation, 
there was a particular thing made, the tree, which God then says to humanity, do not eat of this tree. God sets apart a tree to demonstrate to humanity what holiness is. And that tree was the knowledge of good and evil. This idea that there was something separate, something distinct, something different than just everything else. For man, when he made Adam, God kind of lined up in a parade the whole of all the animals in all creation and basically said to Adam, who's going to be your helper? And Adam looked at all of them and was like, I can't find me a helper. So what does God do? God sets apart a piece of man to become a helper for man called a wife. Now that helper is a holy help. That holy help is different. So you're right, okay. So God had set apart a wife for the man. God had set apart a husband for the wife. And we see this pattern time and time and time again happening throughout history, happening throughout the Bible. God sets apart things, makes things different, makes things distinctive to remind us that even in creation, God is there. God gives whispers of himself in creation. There are things that are holy, things that are different, things that are distinct. So then, so what happens then is God has set apart things that are common and things that are holy. Common, everything else. Holy, things set apart for God. So what happens is then when man and woman, husband and wife, try to be like God, try to become holy, forget that God is different and try to be like God, what do they do? They end up eating of the only thing in the world that was set apart. They cross the boundary into something that God has said, do not go beyond, which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they eat of it and they're not looking at things that are common, they're looking at trying to be like God. They're forgetting that God is holy. They're forgetting that God is different. So they're trying to be God by saying, stuff you, we're going to do our own thing. That moment, death comes in. That's the moment that death is created. Why? Because we are trying to be like God. We try to make ourselves the same as something which is meant to be different. Now that sets in motion a whole pattern of life, a whole pattern of our lives, where we spend our lives basically between two things, holiness and common. Now two words that you might want to use in these kind of situations are consecration, desecration. So consecration is making holy something that which is common. Desecration is taking something that is holy and making it common. Okay, so you've heard those two words. Those, you might want to use those words in terms of how, how, this, how this plays out. But this is what we call sin. Death came in as a result of breaking God's holy boundaries. And the storyline of the Bible follows this path. We hear of Abraham, who God, again, revealed himself to, he set Abraham apart, not because Abraham did anything super special, but because God just said, 
I choose you, kind of like a Pokemon. And he says, I choose you. And he says to Abraham for the first time, be holy as I am holy. And he repeats that whole thing about being holy, being set apart, being distinct, being different, being perfect. And he sets it up to Abraham and then says, through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations. So God then chooses Abraham's family, Abraham's descendants, the Jewish people, the Israelites, to be a set-apart, holy, chosen people. Why? Not because they were special, but because God sets apart things that are holy. God chooses things and sets them apart, makes them different, makes them distinct. So what should we do then, or what should, what should the Jews have done, what should the Israelites have done in response to that? God then gives them a whole bunch of rules and regulations and traditions and laws. Not because he's trying to be overbearing and just push them down. Why? Because they are a holy, chosen, set-apart, different people. He gives them rules on how to wash, rules on how to eat, rules on how to um, um, set up tents, rules on how to, yeah, basically every aspect of life. God gives them rules to show them not just how to be like really super prescriptive, but how they need to live a different, holy life. But for those of us that have read the Bible or any kind of part of the Old Testament, how did the Israelites do in maintaining their holiness and their distinctiveness? They don't do, they don't do very well at all. <laughs> it's not good. We should, have just, we should have just finished the story at that point. That would have been great. But no, I mean, if you look at the time, the kind of the actual amount of time that the Jews are in that space of living holy for God. It's a very small amount of the Bible. But then, of course, you think, well, they're not special. Nothing in them of themselves made them special apart from God. So they failed at what God had asked them to do. They didn't get some kind of superpower because God had made them separate. They didn't get a special, like, just kind of extra token because God had set them apart. God said, I'm setting you apart, so now live differently. They failed to live differently. God chooses, so a holy, different, perfect God chooses common, imperfect people to display his perfect and holy love to the world. That was the purpose of him choosing the Israelites, him choosing the Jews. He said to Abraham, through you are going to bless all the nations. He wanted a chosen people to be the light into the world. So what ended up happening is, of course, it doesn't take too long. I think it's 2 Samuel when things really start going pear-shaped. Um, God's chosen people, instead of doing what God did, did everything they could. Instead of being different, they now start being common. They do everything else the same as everybody else around them. They start worshipping the gods of the nations around them. They start um, doing the same kind of family makeup as those around them. They start burning babies like the, like the nations around them. They start using the currency, the economy, the kingdoms of the nations around them. Worshipping false gods, interfamilial sexual relationships, baby burning, temple profanity, eating the wrong food. Instead of the Israelites shining like a light in the world, they kind of became like the spiritual version of Where's Wally? 
You know he's there somewhere, but you can't really see what's different. The Israelites, instead of being that shining light, that shining example of being distinctive and holy, became just the same as everyone else. They desecrated what God had set apart. So now God gears himself up. After explaining to the Jews what's going to happen if they continue doing this, there's then, the Bible gives us 400 years of silence where God just stops speaking to them. He's like, you're not listening. You have no idea what it means to be different, what it means to be holy. So God prepares the way forward. God decides as the next part of his plan that instead of just hoping his people will be different just in virtue of being chosen, God decides God decides to send himself as his son, Jesus, to become a son on this earth and to live, breathe, and dream as a man with the upward vision of being holy and set apart. Jesus was the God-man, fully God, fully man, with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And he, both as person and as God, demonstrated what it means to live that holy, set-apart, distinctive, perfect life that God's chosen people failed to live at every possible point. So Jesus came onto earth to show us what it means to be holy, to show us what it means to be chosen, to show us what it means to live in right response to being set apart for God. So he lived the different, perfect, spotless, unblemished, right way up life. But he also called a group of people to himself. Jesus also set apart disciples to be with him. And even within his disciples, he set apart people who were closer to him. He showed them how to talk and speak and live a life for God. He told them how to set out boundaries in their life, how to consecrate things in their lives as holy to God. He called us to be perfect, just as our Heavenly Father is perfect in Matthew 5. Jesus sets the bar in relation to holy living, not just as an example, but in word and in teaching. Jesus tells us to be perfect. Holy is one thing. Being explicitly told you must be perfect is another. The bar that Jesus sets is not attainable in this life. And it can't be. If the bar of being perfect was attainable in this life, then that puts us in the same category as God, who is perfect. Perfection cannot be achieved by us as we walk through life and discover the path between common and God, between consecration and desecration. We can still err on any one side of this up until the very last breath of our lives. Perfection, therefore, is a standard and a goal for holiness that is finalized when we are at one with the perfect. When we become, as it says in, I think it's um, 1 John, we will see him, Jesus, as he is, and we will be like him. 
on the other side of this life. And we've spoken before about perishable, imperishable, our resurrection bodies in the future. Perfection is the goal with the understanding that we can never get there by ourselves. The only, the, what, what, that, what does that force us into? It forces us into a, re- a realization that by myself, I am not enough. I need the power of Jesus' example in my life. I need the power of Jesus' example as a, as a helper, as a support in my life. And thankfully, God's already thought of that. God's called it the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, you have the support and the help and the aid you need to live a life more perfect before God. But Jesus managed it. Not once did Jesus treat as common that which was holy. Not once did he treat himself as the same as God and desecrate his Father's name. So even though Jesus was God, he still did not treat himself as God. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus made himself like the lowest of the low. So even though he was God, he still showed us what it's like to venerate and hallow God's name. But the chosen people of God did not appreciate Jesus' lifestyle. The worst act of desecration yet realized in history takes place. They took the holiest, most perfect, most sacred person to have ever lived, God in man, and treated it as common. And in the process of treating Jesus as common, they treated themselves like God. In one act, they both try to consecrate themselves and desecrate God. But Jesus took the consequence of this world for the desecration they committed against God so that the perfect life that was then... Sorry. He died for living a consecrated life. He died for living the perfect life that was unattainable without the gift of the Spirit in our lives. So, Jesus died, but thankfully, he rose again. He rose again, not because he was just living out a whole bunch of rules and laws and regulations, but because he was made different because of his obedience to God. The verse in 1 Peter tells us, as obedient children, Jesus was that obedient child. Jesus both came as a child to Mary and Joseph, but he also was the child of God our Father. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We don't just believe in Jesus because he lived a good life. We, live in Je- we believe in Jesus because he lived the life that we could never, leave, n- never live. We believe in him because he lived the holy, set-apart, distinctive, different life. Now, our response to this really, really matters. Our response could be that we treat Jesus' life as common. The response could be that we desecrate Jesus' life by thinking he just did a whole lot of really good things. 
I'm going to try and do good things, and we can all do good things. That is a very worldly view. That's what a lot of people say. Jesus was a good man. He did good things. So I'm going to be a good man who does good things. That's really, that sounds really nice, and it does sound nice, but that desecrates God's name. Do not take the Lord your God's name in vain. Jesus, who lived the holiest of lives, if we just say, yeah, we can all just do that, that'd be great. We are removing from him the distinctive life that he lived. Or we can do the opposite. We can treat Jesus with such veneration, with such holiness, in terms of what he did, but think that is never going to be attainable. We make, him, we make him so holy, we make what he did so holy that he still called us to do. Don't forget, he did call us to be perfect. And we actually then make ourselves common in the process. We try to make Jesus common and therefore nothing special. We can make ourselves common and distinct completely away from what Jesus has called us to, which is to be holy and perfect. Those are the two ways that we can err on this. So what's the right response? The right response is to realize that there are aspects of our life. Our lives are meant to be holy. Your life is meant to be set apart. Your life is meant to be different. Your life is not meant to be common. When people look at you, they shouldn't have to look at you in a crowd and think, where's Wally? They should be able to look at you and say, there's the life of Jesus. They should be able to look at you and say, there's a life that is distinct. There's a life that is different. There is someone who is aiming for perfection with the help of God in their lives. We don't, we don't follow lives of holiness because of rules and obligation and laws and tradition. We respond to Jesus' call to be perfect and holy and that leads us into gladly, pleasingly, with pleasure, with joy, with happiness, choosing to make our lives different to the world around us. Our lives should be beacons of light in a dark world. Not just because they're nice and we're doing the common things of just, you know, random acts of kindness, speaking nice things, opening doors for people. You know, that's not it. It's about living a life that shows that this is not my own life, but belongs to God, that he has chosen me and set me apart for his purpose and for his glory. That's the choice that you have. That's the choice that we have. Am I going to allow myself to be common? Am I going to allow Jesus to be made common? Or am I going to realize that as a Christian, my life and my soul is set apart for the glory and the purpose of God. One last illustration. As Christians, it's really easy to try this whole idea of difference one day a week. Um, on Sundays, it's really easy to wake up and think, ah, today's the Lord's Day. 
put on some worship music. I might even open, open up my Bible before I go to church. I might even pray on the way in. I think that because today is the Lord's Day that I'm going to be acting differently today. Um, when I was at university, um, we ended up with a spare room in our house. And we always tried to make sure that there was the opportunity for someone who needed that room at the right time to be in it. Um, and we ended up with a whole cast of really interesting characters. But one of these guys was um, a, a, a kid. Well, he was 21. A guy from Gibraltar. So he had a really funny accent. And he had moved over from Gibraltar. Loads of money. And we met him on like week nine of him being in the UK. After then finding out that he spent the previous two months um, at the... Marriott Hotel in Manchester, using all his money um, to get takeout and just, you know, live, live the high life in the hotel. And now, he, he got no money. Oh, would, you, would you imagine that? Um, so he, he had no money. He ended up, um, <clears throat> I, I used to run like an international student cafe at university. So he ended up coming into the cafe. Um, someone else from Gibraltar kind of introduced us. And he was like, yeah, I've got no space to live. And then you kind of put in that awkward situation where the person who bought him was like, oh, Jason, you guys have got a spare room, haven't you? Maybe he can come and live with you. And you're thinking, you should have said that quietly somewhere else, not here. Um, but yeah, so he ended up coming to live with us for a few weeks. And we started getting to talk to him. His English was kind of improving. And we, got, we basically got to the question of, why on earth are you here? And he said, with all the confidence of a five-year-old telling you he's got superpowers, he says, I'm going to play for Manchester United. <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Didn't quite know what to do with that information at the time. So then we, we asked him, like, okay, so do, do you know anyone at Manchester United? No, no, no. They will find me. I'm good. I play well. I play good. I play football good. So are you gonna, do you know where, they, where the stadium is? He's like, um, no. <laughs> do you go to their practices? No, no, they will find me. They will see who I am, and they will want me on their team. <laughs> oh, my days. So then <laughs> he spent weeks at our house. And then, like, one day, out of the blue, he, he wakes up super early. And kind of, I kind of drearily walk into the kitchen. And he's kind of in, I think he's in the lounge, doing like some kind of like sit-ups and push-ups. I'm like, I can't even remember his name. I'm like, dude, what, what are you doing? He's like, today I train. Today they spot me. Today talent, talent seekers, talent, whatever they call them, talent scouts, watch me play, watch me practice. They will choose me for Manchester United. Today is the day. I like, okay, interesting. I've never seen you <laughs> do any of this until suddenly today. And he, he just got so excited. He was like... Um, yeah, um, I'm going to go practice. I'm going to go do laps of your garden. It's a small garden. I mean, it's like half the size of this. And he was like, tell me to do, tell me to do some laps. Tell me to do something. I was like, um, go practice. He's like, how many do you want me to do? I was like, 10? Do 10 laps of the garden? I'll do 20. I'll do 20 laps. He just runs out, does 20 laps of the garden. Comes back in, you know, already sweating. And, um, and I, it made me realize that he had all this opportunity beforehand to practice, to train, to equip himself for a moment. But the only reason he was doing it on that day was because that was going to be the day that he was going to be seen. 
The only reason he got up early, the only reason he trained on that particular day was because that day was when talent scouts are going to be around to see how good I am so they can choose me for their team. How many of us do that with our Christian life? How many of us choose or change how we behave because people are going to be looking at us? How many of us change how we speak, how we react, how we talk, how we dress? Because we're going to church. Because we're around Christian people. That's making the wrong thing holy. You don't change your behavior because other people are going to see you. We respond to a God who loves us, who gave his son to die for us, who showed us the holiest way to live, who equips us for a perfect life. We respond to him every day of our lives out of reverence and awe of who God is. Out of an understanding of what God has called us into and what he has done in our lives. You don't do what you do. We don't do what we do in the Christian walk because we're told to do it by other Christians. We don't do what we do in the Christian walk simply because other people are going to see it. If you are the only person left on this earth, God has still called you to holiness. God has still called you to be set apart for him. Not just one day a week. Not just in one place each week. Not just around particular people each week but in everything you do, in everything you think, in everything you say, in everything you dream, we're called to be holy. You're called to be holy. So just as that verse in 1 Peter tells us, in response to this, He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So we're going to finish by just asking God to reveal in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, where there are things that he has said should be holy and set apart that we have said, that we have treated as common. Or we have treated ourselves as common and realized that actually God's wanting us to set these apart, set me apart, to make me distinctive and different. So I'd like you to close your eyes and bow your, head, bow your heads if you want to. Just whatever helps you focus on what it is that um, your heart's telling you right now. Jesus, right now, we say sorry for the times in our lives when we have ignored the call to be holy, but we have ignored the call to be different. 
where we have acted, behaved, thought, dreamed, like everyone else around us, like the world around us, instead of treating ourselves like you treat as God, instead of being reminded that you have chosen us, that you have revealed yourself to us. God, we thank you that we do know you. We thank you that no matter how different you are, you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. We take that as a gift. Not that we can lord it over others, but we can respond to you with right action. That we can respond to you by setting our lives apart for you. That we respond in love, we respond in praise, we respond in worship, we respond in dedicating our lives to you. Right now, Holy Spirit, bring conviction over the parts of our lives that we know we've not given over to you. Give us conviction of the parts of our lives that we've treated as common, that you've called us to give over to you. Shed light on the parts of our lives that, we've, that our expectation for perfection has fallen far short of yours. But help us, Holy Spirit, each and every day to walk in your ways, Jesus, to consider the path between consecration and desecration, to consider the path between holiness and sin, as each day we walk out in obedience to you. Give us power this week, Jesus, to love you better, to follow you more closely, to let the light that we have in our lives shine that, that little bit brighter. We give this week over to you, Jesus, and say, have your way. Have your way with us, God. Amen.